0: by show of hands how many folks are uh 9 a.m folks that are victims to daylight savings time anybody we got a few this morning yeah welcome this is second service hopefully you met some new friends uh glad to have you with us you can see we are a fun bunch here at 10:45. we like to have a good time uh, so we're glad to glad to welcome you in if you're new and visiting with us we are so glad that you're here Again, daylight savings time and the rain, and you made it here anyway. We're so glad to be able to worship with you this morning. Thanks for joining. Again, my name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at the church, and uh, we are in the season of Lent, beginning in Ash Wednesday a few weeks ago, carrying on through Easter, and then this uh, six-week season. Uh, we are looking at uh, how it is that we practice the reading of Scripture. Uh, We have a a sermon study guide for community groups to do that's available on our website. Maybe you're part of a group that is doing the study, or you're doing it on your own, or at least following along with the sermon series. Uh, When I was growing up, um, I would say that I kind of learned maybe only one way, maybe two ways to read the Bible. I was homeschooled, and every morning, our family, seven kids, Uh, Six kids and then my cousin would join together uh, with my mom there. Uh, Some of us still in our pajamas. uh, Most of us still with some sleep in our eyes. And we would go around the room and we would read one verse at a time so that everybody stayed awake. Um, And you didn't really listen when other people were reading. You just listened to follow along to make sure you didn't miss a beat when it was your time to read. And then we would go through and make sure that we got in our daily chapter or two or three. At the same time in the evenings when we gather around the dinner table, we had this little uh, treasure chest of tiny note cards uh, with just one verse uh, piece on them and reading through those. And it was a privilege to be the one who got to pick or got to read that verse because now dad was around and, and we wanted to share and celebrate and maybe show off with him. Uh, and then I remember in our bathroom of all places, there was a lot of scripture too, right? In the On the walls and picture frames, there's this little like flip the verse over kind of thing. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I think maybe even we had a toilet topper that said, this is the house of the Lord or something like that. Um, so, a lot of exposure to scripture, but, but very much kind of formed in just a handful of practices. And I remember getting older and wanting to make my faith my own, especially when I would, even when I started work here and I wanted to, uh, to, to study more of the scripture and develop that habit and that practice. Uh, my mom gave me one Christmas uh, a collection of like 60 CDs that was the Bible audiobook read by actors like Sean Astin and Louis Gossett, Jr., and John Voight. And so I remember, like, putting them on on my commute to work, commute to school, um, listening and following along, and, and, and thinking, like, again, like, I just got to make it through Scripture. I get to get through my chapters of the day in the way that I was formed. And then somewhere around the Psalms, as Sean Aston, the voice of David, was reading to me, I kind of lost it. The CDs went in the trunk, and that was kind of it. And a lot of times, or some of the time, our practice of reading Scripture can kind of go as follows. Uh, I mean, you know what it's like to kind of just have this practice you know is valuable. You've got a lot of richness out of it. It's, it's impacted your life in positive ways. Uh, but then sometimes we fall off the wagon. And especially if you have that check the box, make it through, sometimes uh, the fruit doesn't kind of match the investment that we make. But I would say absolutely now... Uh, I see the fruit of of all this work that my family put in, this time that was spent earlier in my days. A lot of comprehension, a lot of time studying the Word. One of the things that unpacked it, unlocked the reading of Scripture for me, though, was learning additional practices. Instead of making it through one chapter at a time or two chapters daily and keeping up with your Bible in a year plan or whatever it is, uh, I really remember over the last six, seven years The way that meditating on smaller chunks of scripture has really helped make the story so much more rich. I like to think of it before as like uh, the way that I grew reading was kind of like going to the buffet. Right? You just go over and over and over again through the line and you show up. And it doesn't matter that the chicken's not any good. You just show up because you're waiting for dessert anyway. Uh, And you go through that way. But but when we meditate on Scripture, it's not like going through the buffet line. It's like sitting down to fine dining. It's like sitting down uh, to that cool cup of water on a hot summer's day. It's sitting down to savor, to be refreshed, to unpack the greater story, uh, to hear the the eternal song being sung. Our, Our topic this morning, as you might have been able to guess, is meditating on Scripture. Meditating on Scripture. And the youth right about now downstairs, they're being asked the question, uh, is meditation in the Bible? Because we know meditation is a common cultural practice. And according to a Times Magazine article in 2016, the reason why meditation has become part of our social fabric and consciousness, practiced at companies like Google in their Search Inside Yourself program, Is because of Oprah. And Oprah's feature of uh, Deepak Chopra's book on meditation in 1996. And so now when you go Google, you can read about Google's practices of meditation. You can read about the six-time champion Chicago Bulls practices of meditation in the 90s, the Beatles uh, practice of meditation, Madonna, and all sorts of tech CEOs and the like. So when I went this week to find out <clears throat> how it is that we meditate, uh, I googled it. And I went past the Times Magazine article and the American Psychological Association article. And I got to WikiHow. It's got pictures and that's more my speed. The first picture there is a picture of a tree and someone standing outside. it. To meditate in our culture, the instructions begin with going to a quiet Tranquil space, especially if you can engage with nature and get outside. The second step is perhaps my favorite. Wear loose-fitting clothing. (laughs) You don't want to be obstructed when you're getting into a meditative mindset. Uh, The third is to choose how long you're going to meditate for. and Basically self-diagnose how much stillness, how much awareness am I in for, or how much time until the train comes. Or till the kids need picking up. And then the fourth practice, which is also a favorite, is get a stretch in. You don't want to pull something while you're sitting quietly and still by yourself. If you skip on ahead, the description of what meditation is about, that maybe you're already familiar with, uh, is, is in our culture it's called meditation and mindfulness. Which I think is funny because the point is to kind of empty your mind. Free yourself from distraction, to sit and to be still, to recover some calm, to reduce pain, to grow in awareness uh, in the present moment. All good things, things that God invites us into as well. But is this the meditation that the Bible talks about? It's not. You see, in our in our culture, in this day and age, the practice of emptying ourselves of noise and emptying ourselves of thought and sitting still in order to kind of regain our own calm. The Bible doesn't teach that we can get there on our own. So the words for meditation in the Bible, instead of connoting silence, instead share a picture of of wrestling, of speaking, of arguing, complaining, working it out. And in our passage today, Psalm 19, singing. And so meditation in the Bible is not a silent practice, although you might do it quietly and people can't observe the talk, but it's about this inner dialogue. It's about the stories we tell ourselves and the story that God is telling. It's about the song that's in our heart. And so the invitation to meditate in the Bible is, is to take God's word, to take the things that he said, his ordinances, his decrees, the story about who he is and what he's up to and who we are and to sit and to work them out. To meditate upon him, not upon nothing. That his story might become our story and his song our song. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19, a, a famous passage to, Talking about the doctrine of God's word. Uh, And it instructs us how to meditate on this word and make these words our own. Of course, you can follow along with your worship guide or you can just listen as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Another word used in the New Testament when we look at the life of Mary as God's voice is very much coming to her in in the messenger who sent the angel and in her own life, in this great disruption that is going on, these plans that she didn't anticipate or expect. It says at first that she... She was terrified, and yet she pondered what was going on. And then two times later, even as hard words are spoken to her, it says that she treasured these words up in her heart. They became the treasure, the gold, the sweetness to her, wrestling with them, arguing, working them out in her life. Now there's a metaphor that I want to use Uh When you think about meditating on scripture, I want this idea to come to mind for you. And just full warning, I'm going to beat this metaphor to death over the next 15 minutes. So strap in. I want to talk about cognitive, the cognitive phenomena of involuntary musical imagery. Or what's more commonly known as an earworm. Or what's universally known as having a song stuck in your head. We all know what it's like to hear the arrangement of some familiar notes and have our brains set off, our bodies start to move as that uh, reminder and refresher of a song much beloved, much well practiced, comes into being. Or when you hear the arrangement of a few different words that have a special meaning and your, your brain just automatically turns to your mouth and you just fill in the blanks, finishing the sentence. Let's try this practice on for size. If you know the lyrics, go ahead and fill in the blank. The best part of waking up. Or how about this one? Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that football cream. Any fans of The Office? There you go. Or this one from Tommy Two-Tone. Eight, six, seven, five... Or finally, one of my favorites, who let the dogs out? (laughs) There you go. Uh, It's almost a reflex at this point, right? There are certain songs and phrases that you encounter that are so well ingrained in your being that they just come out of you automatically. And this is happening in the... In the auditory complex is something called the phonological loop is receiving information, right? So the way our brains work is we have working memory where we're engaging with the world around us. What's being said, what's being done, all the information is coming in. And then our brain has to hold it and make sense out of it because it might be important information. And so in that working memory, we hold that information hoping, and it kind of sets about a loop to try to identify and interpret what it is. And if it gets the interpretation correct, then it moves to our deeper memory to kind of light up and access information that's there, right? So we had this, this example here where you were being stimulated by the idea of call and response and familiar words and phrases, and your brain starts picking it up. And then it's like a test, and can we fill in the blank? Can we finish the song? But maybe it went deeper than that for you and you had a deeper experience in their memory of where did you encounter these songs in the first place. Maybe you had the the picture of the commercials in mind or where you were on a hot summer day in 1987. Like, uh, all kinds of things could have come out. They happen almost automatically. It tends to be things that we have heard. All right, You, you can't fill in the blank in the song if you haven't heard the tune in the first place. But also it tends to be things that we've been exposed to a lot, that we've practiced quite often. That's why it can become almost automatic and reflexive in nature. Meditating on the scriptures. To have our brain think thoughts after God's thoughts. To have our hearts beat after the beat of his heart to have a heart after his own heart, feelings that follow his feelings so that our hands and feet and our actions can follow his actions. The invitation and the imagery of Scripture is taking the word of God about who he is and what he's up to and who we are and why we are and where we're going, what's this all about, to bring those things to mind that they can sit there and be chewed on and treasured and wrestled with and sung over so that when we get to an environment where that working memory starts to interpret what's going on in the world, we access that deeper memory, that eternal story that's stuck in our head, that eternal song that's stuck in our hearts. This is what Psalm 19 is teaching us. The idea here in verse 13 Or 14, rather, is that the meditation here, unlike just arguing it out or talking and murmuring to oneself, here the meditation of my heart is my heart's song. The beat and the tune that carries me. The lyrics that make sense out of the story. May that be acceptable and pleasing. May the song in my heart be your song, my rock and my redeemer. So how do we get this song into us? How do we get it stuck in our own hearts? Well, the first thing that we see is that this Psalm 19, the middle part here is talking all about the law, the statutes, the precepts, the decrees, the commands, and the fear of the Lord. Now these are not separate things, but all pieces of a euphemism about the Old Testament. So when David is writing to talk about the law and the precepts. He's not talking about something else that he's encountered that you'll never see. He's just talking about the Psalms and the prophets and the book of the law and, and Israel's history, going back and reading through the Old Testament. And it's the best description, one of the best descriptions about God's word that can lead us to a doctrine of what is it and, and how do we relate to it and what are we supposed to do with it. But at the very beginning of the psalm is an introduction. What David is getting at in this introduction is that he's not just teaching theology and more things to grip our head, but he's teaching us a song that we have a part in. The introductory statement is that this is a psalm of David for the director of the choir. It's to be sung, to be reflected on, to be pondered, pondered, to get stuck inside of us, to come out automatically. The sweetness, the goodness, the delight, the trustworthiness. So where's this song coming from? Well, in the first few verses here, it says that the heavens are declaring the song. The skies are proclaiming his works. They're pouring forth speech. Their voice is going out and talking about the sun and the stars and the things that God has put in place that are crying out and singing this tune to us. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says similarly. That creation is telling a story and singing a song. That from the very beginning, the divine attributes of God, his majesty, his power, his creativity, have been known to everyone. Even if the word of God hasn't reached them yet, he is proclaiming and declaring this message to them. Throughout the Psalms and in places like Nehemiah and Isaiah, you see this picture of heaven and earth, The stars, the animals, the rocks, the trees, the rivers, everything is joining together to sing this beautiful song, to find their part in a wonderful symphony proclaiming God's majesty, his power, and his care. So what this means for us is that that first step on WikiHow of getting out and engaging with Scripture, yeah, we can check the box. We can say that too is something that the Bible is inviting us into, to engage with creation, to engage with the world, uh, to see that God's goodness is being declared in the beauty of Stone Mountain, in the, the wonders of the Chattahoochee River. Uh, of of the, these trees and even the pollen this week. That, that God is up to something in the world. Creation is crying out in a beautiful song to us. We can engage and listen. But here's the thing. We also are part of that creation. Your life and your stories with your ups and downs, successes and failures... Your hurts and your victories and the relationships that you have and the ones that you've lost and the dreams that have made up your life are telling a story as well. Pointing to a greater purpose beyond your life. And so the invitation to sit and become aware and reflect on it is also a biblical uh, instruction. In the book of Genesis and in Joshua... Or invitations to come and reflect on your day, to come and listen and ponder how, in your own creatureliness, there's a declaration about who God is being carried out. So, it's good for us to engage with Scripture, it's good for us to engage with nature, it's good for us to engage in silent reflection, uh, to consider and, po- uh, and ponder and become present and aware of what's going inside us, of what's going on before, of what might be coming up. It's good to engage with these things. The message of Psalm 19 is clear on that. But at the same time, what the psalmist says is that they are crying out, they're proclaiming, they're telling a story, they're singing a song, a tune, they're carrying it on, and yet, though their voice goes out, they have no voice. Though their words can be heard, they have no words. No sound is heard from them. So on the one hand, maybe David is just like, he wrote a line. He thought this line sounded better, and he went back. Uh, or Maybe he just changed his mind. There's a voice that's crying out. No, no, there's not a voice. Oh, wait, but there is a voice. But what the, the scholars see here when we look at this passage is that there is a declaration. There is a voice that goes out, but it's a voice that's attuned. It's a sound. It's a melody. When we reflect on creation and on ourselves, we hear the beauty, the sweetness of that symphony, but we also hear those minor keys. The silent places where the music nearly cuts out, where things start to get terrible sounding. When things are out of key, we know what it's like to engage with the world and to look at things and say, the story I'm hearing, the song, the melody, just doesn't match. And it may not be good. And what David says is that we need more than just the song that nature can sing to us. We need the words. We need the lyrics. We need the story. In verses 7 through 11, uh, he says that... uh, that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, that it's trustworthy, it can make us wise, it can give joy to us, it gives us light, it endures forever, it's firm and righteous and precious and sweet. The, the lyrics, the song that we're invited into, not just the melody, but the parts that we can sing and grasp and make sense out of all that's going on in the world, we find that in Scripture. Scripture. Without the words, we cannot make sense out of the tune. I have another exercise for us to try on. Max in the booth is going to play a tune for us. And as it comes on, raise your hand when you identify what this tune is. All right, raise your hand if you got Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Raise your hand if you got Baba Black Sheep. Raise your hand if you got A, B, C, D. It's all the same tune. It's some French tune from the 18th century called Vaudre something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but your interpretation of what the tune was has been shaped. It's been shaped by the songs that you've sung. The ones that you've practiced the longest in your life, or the ones that you've practiced most recently in your life, or or the ones that are tied to the most important memories. So we can look at the world and all hear the same tune and know that there's a great song being sung. But what song is it? We need the scriptures to understand, to make us wise. To show us our hidden faults and our errors. To show us its goodness, its sweetness and delight. To come and make sense out of us and our world. It's our practice to sing to the kids uh, at the, right before we put them to bed. And I'm so bad at lyrics. Uh, I'm really bad at quotes. I'm bad at remembering tunes. All kinds of stuff. So I remember like singing one song to our oldest and, and Meredith coming in and sobbing me and saying, what is that tune? And I was like, I'm not really sure. Uh, and then with Danny, our third child, uh, she started singing Danny Boy. And I knew the tune up to like, oh, Danny Boy. <laughs> and, and so I listened to her sing it. I went in to sing it one day and I just couldn't get it right. So I pulled up Google again and and looked, and then I sang through it, and then the next night I did the same thing, trying to learn the song, practice the song, get it into me so that I could get it out of me. And after a little while, uh, I quit doing that. And then I just made up my own lyrics. And I didn't really ever learn the tune either, so I made up my own tune. And these lyrics and this tune that I created, that I've practiced, that he has encountered, is going to shape and form him. And someday in his life, maybe in his teens, his 20s, it might be close to death, sometime somebody's going to invite him to sing the song. (laughs) And when he gets there, he's not going to know how to sing along. The words he sings and the tune he sings are going to come out sideways. It's going to be jarring. It's going to clash with what's going on there but it's the one he knows and the one he's been formed by. It's the song that's going to be stuck in his head and his heart. And it's not just the songs we sing at night. He's going to be shaped by the sin and brokenness and my hidden faults and my hidden errors. And he's going to learn patterns and lyrics about the world and what's good and what pain means and what we do about it and what justice is and peace and what he deserves and what he doesn't deserve. And I'm going to pass along these patterns to him just like they've been passed along to me by my family, by my culture, by my own successes and my own failures. And we're going to live these patterns out. These songs that get stuck in our hearts. These stories that get stuck in our heads. Unless we find a new song. Unless our heart can sing what we see here in Psalm 19 unless we see that the law of the Lord is perfect, the statutes are trustworthy, unless we let them make us wise and show us our errors and our hidden faults, unless we let them bring us into this eternal song about God's goodness. David says, who can discern my own errors, forgive my hidden faults, and then at the end, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You are meant to sing this song, to join together with all of creation and nature in the ups and the downs, to take part in this eternal song, for it to be a delight and a joy and give you light and make you sure. But when we come to the scripture, oftentimes we encounter things that we just don't like. Things that are hard. Nobody wants to see their hidden faults. Nobody wants those errors to come out. We would rather have the answer, who can discern their own faults? Not me, and hopefully nobody else can either. But God looks upon us with compassion To see not only that the sin and the brokenness that we have practiced and played out is things that we've done and that's been done by us, songs that we've chosen to sing, but also that things have been done to us and that we're stuck with certain songs and messages in our head and our hearts. David doesn't look to the law to see the refreshment that his soul needs. To find the trustworthy foundation. The wisdom that he seeks. He doesn't look to that and say yes I've lived up. And look this is who I am. It validates and confirms everything I already thought and believed about myself. Instead when he comes into the the scriptures. He sees that there are things going on in him. And things that he struggles with that he wasn't aware of. Things that he's done. And when his wretchedness and sin is before him. He is left with nothing. But to look at the song that's being sung in the scriptures. A song about a wonderful rock and redeemer who would come and fulfill the law perfectly, whose delight and focus would be, his daily bread would be to do the will of the Father, to obey and delight and rest, to treat them as more pure than gold and sweeter than honey. And when David sees that, my rock and my redeemer, Then the law becomes a delight to him. A tutor who could teach him how to sing. The places where he's gotten it right and the places where he's gotten it wrong. And that there's a bigger story and a better song than just that. There's a movement here that's really easily missed. But to me, it's the best part about this passage. In the beginning with the, the tune that creation sings says the heavens declare the glory of God it's the Hebrew word Elohim for the great God the creator the one who stands behind everything majestically and all powerful but it's this general name for God and when David talks about the law and the scriptures that are given he uses the covenant personal name Yahweh translated as Lord here To say that the story of the people of Israel, of a God looking upon them in suffering and sin and brokenness their own and that of Egypt. He has called them out that they would call him by name. And David says that story is now my story. And in practicing the scripture to let it become his own heart's song. He came to know God and the sweetness of God, not just in Elohim, the God of creation, and not just in Yahweh, the God of Israel and redemption, but to be able to say for himself, and my rock, and my redeemer, who has done this great work, has sung over me, and I join in singing as well. Meditating on scripture is about getting this goodness about who Jesus is. The the good news about the story of the Bible, that all of it is pointing to him and that he is enough. That in Jesus we hear the heart song of God and it beats for us. And when we meditate on scripture... For that song to get stuck in our own hearts. Then our souls will be refreshed. And our hearts will sing. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? God, we confess uh, we don't know what we don't know. Hopefully, we are far enough along in our journey, in our times of reflecting on our lives, looking at the world, that we can say honestly with David, uh, who can discern their own errors and their hidden faults? God, we admit that we are prisoner to all kinds of things, pain and hardship and lies and uh, all kinds of different things, God, that get in our heads and our hearts and then drive us in life. And God, so many times we come to your scriptures and we don't see the value and the goodness and the sweetness and we'd rather just turn away and turn it off. But Lord, thank you. Thank you that these words here can become a delight, a refreshment, that they can restore us and draw us back to you. That we can trust in you, that before we knew our faults, you forgave us and called us your own. (laughs) That we are your great reward. Lord, help us this week to, to slow down. Help us to take some time to just consider your great song that you're telling in the world and in our own lives. Help us to pay attention to the lyrics and the scripts that we are playing out and practicing. And God, help us to see your word in these ways, to chew on it, to treasure it up. Even, God, to argue that our hearts might sing your words and be pleasing in your sight. For your glory and for our joy we pray. Amen.